25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to him. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. What's up? Hour two of the show, off and running. Uh, thanks for tuning in, however you're listening and wherever you're listening from. I'm Matt Wyatt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Roger is here. You're here. I'm here. That's all we need. Good to see you here. You talk to you. Speaking of talk to you, uh, I'd love to hear your voice. Hit me up on the Divini Equipment phone line. It is a 601 number, 995-1059. Divini Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer. They are the oldest Kubota dealer in the U.S. Do you know that? What that means is they've been doing it better, longer than anyone else. Again, the number to call me, 601-995-1059. And Chris, I know you called at the end of hour one. If you had more and you felt like you got cut short because the music started, then call me back. But whatever you want to talk about is fine with me. Text me on the country pleasing text line. It is 885-ESPN. 885-ESPN. If you need a number, it's 885-3776. Country pleasing sausage, country pleasing meat packers right there on Highway 49, Florence. Go on in there to the butcher shop if you haven't. People were in the first hour texting in and suggesting the, what was it? The stuffed pork loin. It's stuffed with macaroni and cheese and wrapped in bacon. Ooh. Now, I'm assuming you cooked that in like you roasted or, of course, you could deep fry it. Yeah, you, oh, no, you could. You put some uh, <laughs> beer batter on that thing and, uh, yeah, you definitely drop could. It in the deep fryer. Hey, uh, I do have to Get say, little bites. There we go. You know, things come up that there's a couple times in today's show where it just sort of organically took a baseball turn, and the same thing just happened at the end of hour one on the text line. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna ride this out with y'all, okay? With Bigglesworth and Bulldog Blitz and Fluffy and everybody on the country pleasing text line. We're gonna do that. We're just gonna ride it out, okay? But it has to do with baseball. But first, one quick baseball nugget. Roger, born on this day in let – me, let me pick up my notes here because I scribbled it down. I want to make sure I get the year right. Yep, born on this day in 1895. But it was signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you keep telling me that. Who is she? What? What? The Sultan of Swat. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Clout. Babe Ruth! The Great Bambino! 
I'm a great bambino. What? I'm a great bambino. Who's that? I had no idea who they were talking about. What did you say? What, were you born in a barn, man? Yeah, yeah, what planet are you from? But there was no way I could let them know. You never heard of Salt in a Swat? The Titan of Terror. The Colossus of Clout? The Colossus of Clout. The King of Crash, man. So, I lied. Oh, yeah, the Great Bambino. Of course. I thought you said the Great Bambi. That wimpy deer? (laughs) (laughs) The Great Bambino, Babe Ruth. He would have been 125 years old. Uh, when did he pass away? I'd have to look it up. Today's Babe Ruth's birthday. 1895. Isn't it amazing? Like some people, it just, I mean, it just never goes away. Uh, the fame and this notoriety for some folks, it just never goes away. Once it's there, it's there. Hundreds of years. It's just 1948. amazing. So he passed in 1948. Esophageal cancer. Yeah. August 16th. You know, and what, Roger, I'm, I'm not at all an expert in regards to, you know, cancer. But generally, stuff like that, like lung cancer, esophageal cancer, most times it's because of, what, smoking, right? And tobacco, yeah. Tobacco use. And, you know, I mean, like he's born and raised in a time when Nobody knew it was really even bad for you. It's just what you did. You just always had cigars. You know? that, that's the kind of cancer that's more uh, out there than people really realize. They, my my pastor had that, and he hmm. been treated. He he wasn't was never a smoker or chewer, uh-huh. so it okay. could go either way. But but I think uh, <laughs> Babe yeah. Ruth's on record as being a tobacco user. Oh yeah, I think so. Okay, <laughs> prolific. So in regards to what y'all were texting me about on the. Country Please and text line, Bulldog Blitz, Fluffy, Bigglesworth. It, it was this, okay? It goes back to something I played earlier in the show. If you're just tuning in here, hour two, this will be new to you, most likely. Uh, I was able to have a conversation for my podcast, the Dog Pile Podcast. It's a Mississippi State baseball podcast available wherever you get it. Subscribe if you have it. Episode 50 was a pretty lengthy conversation with Will Clark. And in there, we talked about the fact that the Giants, who he played for, the foremost team that he played for, he also played for the Cardinals and the Rangers. But the Giants are retiring Will Clark's number 22 this year. They're going to actually retire it in July, just before the All-Star break and a ceremony and all this. And in the course of that conversation, I asked Will Clark what it was like when he found out. Well, you know, they had, uh, the Giants had a rule. Um, that they were not going to um, retire jerseys from people that weren't in the Hall of Fame. So you had to be a Hall of Famer. And then uh, I think it was two years ago they retired uh, Barry Bonds' jersey. And, uh, you know, Barry was not in the Hall of Fame. That's, so that sort of opened the door for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had heard some, some uh, you know, movement of that in the front office. It, and then last year, uh, uh, they called me in to the front office, and, uh, and one of the owners and, and one of the directors of marketing, who is a very good friend, they said that they were going to retire my jersey. And but he said, I can't say anything until you know we have a ceremony, and the ceremony was like two or three months down the road. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, needless to say, I told my wife, but I couldn't tell anybody else. <laughs> I was just, I was jumping through my skin, you know, wanting to tell somebody and I couldn't do it. But then once the, once the ceremony came around, everybody, everybody's all ex- excited. And uh, I know that uh, they have the ceremony this year is going to be July 11th, which is right before the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's going to be absolutely unbelievable because, you know, my number will be up on the wall. And uh, numerically, just the way it lies, uh, I'm going to be up there next to Willie Mays, who is the best that's ever played. So that's a portion of that interview, just you know, a small portion of the interview with Will Clark. You want to hear the whole thing? It's episode 50 of Dogpile Podcast. And so when I played that earlier, Bigglesworth, you texted and said, how in the <laughs> is Will Clark not in the Hall of Fame? And you know, listen, I would say that you know, I'm not the guy who can sit here and off the top of his head spout off the numbers for people like that. And and Will was one of my favorite players coming up. Probably a top five for me. But I'm just not that guy. I'm not that baseball rain man. I can sit here and spit out his numbers and compare it to others. I do know that, like a lot of us, like like you, we could all look at the numbers on paper, compare, like you know, the the people that have seemed to you know seem to be guys that should be in the Hall of Fame, you know, Dale Murphy, um, Fred McGriff, Will Clark and they're not. And we can look at the numbers, compare them to somebody who's in there and go, "Well, why why is it this guy in?" So, I guess in any case like this where there's the the human element and we're voting somebody in based on a million different variables, there's always going to be that level of candidates who feel left out or we feel are left out, stuff like that. But there is so much in his favor, too. So let's see. I, I was looking something up. This is from a couple of years ago with the Sporting News. And then I'm going to get to a couple of others. Well, let me, let me read you. Okay, so to show you, Bigglesworth says, how is he not in? Uh, Fluffy said the the Hall in Cooperstown is the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Clark's contribution to college baseball, the 84 gold medal, leading his career uh, with a home run against legendary Nolan Ryan, winning the NLCS, should secure him a spot. Is his ineffective appearance in one college? I'm sorry, in one World Series, what keeps him out, or his era? Bulldog Blitz said Clark's number will be retired on my birthday. That's pretty cool. Great gift for a lifetime fan. But here's what I would say. It's like, you know, people can look at the numbers and again and compare. But here's a couple things. This is from Sporting News. It says the first thing to know about Will Clark's Hall of Fame case is that at least on paper, the former Giants, Rangers, Orioles, Cardinals first baseman hit better than numerous Hall of Famers. So then we go into stats, right? That's baseball. We go stats. Well, OPS, on-base plus slugging percentage, his is 137. His rate of total offensive production adjusting for his ballpark and era is better than 108 Hall of Fame position players. 
He hit 303 lifetime. Played much of his career in Candlestick Park. Before the offensive explosion of the mid-90s, powered by what? Go ahead and say it. Y'all know. Performance-enhancing drugs. Now, again, stats, numbers, baseball people love to do it. And anybody voting on this Hall of Fame stuff, they are going to be baseball numbers people. It says, put it another way. According to the stat converter at baseballreference.com, so it accounts for different eras and ballparks and all that. If Clark had played his entire career with the Red Sox from 27 to 41, he'd have hit 327 lifetime with 307 home runs, 1,400 RBIs. Those kinds of numbers in those days got players into Cooperstown easily. Clark was a 303 hitter in the 80s, 90s, and 1,200 RBIs. The other thing is they all say that it was one of these deals where he sort of walked away early. Okay, They say, first of all, Clark retired a few years sooner than he maybe could have walking away from baseball after a triumphant final half season with the Cardinals in 2000 to spend more time with his five-year-old autistic son, Trey. Cardinals manager Tony LaRusa invited Will Clark to spring training in 2001. They were hoping to convince him to play again, but it was no use. And the quote from Will Clark was, I'm one of those kind of guys, when I made up my mind, I made up my mind. He retired with... 2,176 hits, 284 home runs, played through the age 40, was relatively healthy. I'm sorry, had he played through the age of 40 relatively healthy, he'd have had 27,350. Those numbers are by no means automatic. And then it says that by traditional standards, Even the projected stats, had he played through 40, would still be fairly borderline. But the thing about him was, it it still is the Hall of Fame. And there was a period of time when he first got to the majors when nobody questioned that he was one of the best in the majors, period. Like, nobody questioned that in the early part of his career. Now, you do have to do it over the long haul. But a career 303 average, 284, 1,200 RBIs, six-time All-Star, 91 National League Gold Glove, and the 89 NLCS MVP with the Giants. Excuse me. In the postseason, a 333 career batting average, five home runs, and a 956 on-base plus slugging career postseason. All right, here we go. Divinity Equipment phone, Divinity Equipment, Madison, and in Jackson. Chris, what's up? What's up, Matt? Yo, man, thanks for calling back. You told me you told me to call you back, so I did. Yeah, well, I was just saying. I do. Are we coming no, up no. against a break? We got plenty of time. We got about five minutes, which is plenty of time on radio. And I knew that maybe the music cut you off. So yeah, I'm glad you called back. What's up? Okay, so I want to start this off by prefacing that this has been, like, something that I've grown up with. And as an adult, when I've gotten older, I've kind of, I held ill will for a long time. But my daddy and them used to own a little farm out in the country 
not far from Starkville, and they invited them. They used to have a big dove hunt. Somebody brought Will with them. And when I was like, I think I was like four, five years old, and I already liked baseball. I would sit at the TV and say baseball mm. when we, when my daddy and them would watch baseball. Yeah. So um, Will showed up to this thing, and my daddy asked him, he's like, hey, man, I got a ball inside. You know, and he was still he was still in uh, college, and he said, "I'd like for you to sign it for my son because he loves baseball." Yeah, and he never did. He actually left when my daddy came back outside, and I was when I learned about it as I got older, I was hurt for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I always took that, and I want I want people to understand that I don't hold any ill will towards him. I didn't ever really root for him because of it when mm-hmm. I was younger. Mm-hmm. I wish I could go back and change that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's one of the best that ever played at state, and I appreciate that. But I mean, people people don't realize that how special some of these young athletes are that these days that are so transformed and so formed into talking to people and stuff like that. I mean, it's just a whole different ball game than what it was back then. Yeah, and I I have you know I, I love to tell people, hey, look. You got to give these young kids a pass because some of them have never been on a stage like this, yeah. and they don't know the difference in what they need to do. But I think that that's the one thing that social media has changed. And I actually uh, watched that. Have you ever seen the series on Will that they did on TV where he's um, talking about his son and everything? You know, I have seen some of that. Now it's been a while, and I'm sure it's on YouTube. But I do, I did see some of it initially. Yes. Yeah, he admitted how how shy he was in college because he'd never been around anything like that he was from a little bitty town and Mm. all that so that kind of shed in a lot of light to me and i just want to tell people you know hey look if y'all get a chance to meet one of these athletes and they don't really want to talk to you or they're shy give them a break because they're 18 19 years old how would you have been if you'd have been Mm. done like that i think i think the younger matt white was pretty shy when he was around all that stuff too wasn't he well yeah yeah, it it was, and you know what's interesting about that, Chris, is I was in school basically like exactly 10 years after Clark and Paul Merrill were in school, but at that age, yeah. it seems like a lot longer than that, you know, But and I was a football player, not a baseball player, and, you know, like even then, the baseball players, Brad Freeman, you know, those kind of guys, uh, Adam Pike, they they were the big stars walking around on campus, and here we are in the SEC, and I'm playing football. But but I did experience a little bit of that because I I began to get playing time at quarterback as a freshman, you know, well as a redshirt freshman. So I'm I'm less than a couple of years removed from I'm just living at home with mom and daddy at Prattville, Alabama, you know, and here I am in school as a redshirt freshman. I'm starting to play a little bit. And the first time you have that, people know your name, and like you go in to get some food somewhere, and somebody stops and talks to you, and they know your name, and it's a little, it's a little shocking, you know. It's like it, at first, it takes some getting used to. Um, but I will tell you that too, over a period of time, these athletes, you begin to then really enjoy that, and in some cases, expect it. Uh, I got to where, and this is this is ridiculous for me to even say this because it's not like I'm Tom Brady or anything like that. But you know, there were times where I would I'd go to church on Sundays and I'd purposefully get there late 
and slip in the back and sit down, and I'd purposely slip out early. Because if I didn't, it wasn't trying to be rude. It's just that everybody would want to talk, you know, and you didn't have time to talk to everybody. So there's, there is some of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I will say that I will say that I've heard, I've actually told, I, I used to go to the baseball games every year, have season tickets and everything. And I've talked to some of the old timers and they said that when I shared that story to one of the old, one of the old timers, he said, well, that may have been what changed him because he realized that he shouldn't have done that to a kid. He said, because not long into his junior season, he said that man would walk up and down the, yeah. the side of the, the stadium and sign balls for hours. Yeah. After the game was over with. Yeah. Good call, Chris. Hey, and I appreciate your story, man. Y'all have a great day. All right, you too. Thank you. You know, and there there could always be a you know, misunderstanding on that kind of stuff too. You, you know, you just never know. Uh Bulldog Blitz back here on the text line says, um, those stats you're reading definitely indicate he's Hall of Fame worthy. Didn't realize he was that far ahead of some of the guys who are already in. And it, and it really is true. I mean, you know, you look at some career numbers. You're talking about just shy of 300 homers, but a career 303 average with 1,200 RBIs. And Will Clark, he's never lacked for confidence. He would tell you. He said in a quote one time, a bunch of my RBIs drove in the tying or winning runs. He said, I didn't have a whole lot of RBIs when it was 8 to nothing. <laughs> And there's truth in that. Um, But not in. But like you said, his Hall of Fame, they're going to put his number right up beside Willie Mays out there in San Francisco and retire it for good this summer. Pretty cool. Y'all stick around in the Farm Bureau studio. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back on the show, I'm Matt. In the Farm Bureau studio, Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau Insurance. Hometown heroes, your local Farm Bureau insurance agents in all 82 counties across the state of Mississippi. Here we go. Text on the country pleasing text line from Casper. Will Clark and Griffey Jr., two best swings of my life. You know, I was watching a thing where the um, – I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now. John, um, who's a famous baseball announcer that still does games now on television? Not Scully, but he's still doing games now on TV. And uh, Gosh, I can't remember his name. John Miller. That's who I'm trying to think of, John Miller. Saw an interview he gave. He was talking about Will Clark. And he said, you know, he said there for 20, 25 years, while Will Clark was playing and even afterwards, you'd see a guy come up, a young player or something. He had a real sweet swing. And you'd go, well, it's, it's kind of Will Clark-esque. You go, you know, you'd compare, you'd compare his, you know, all these other guys' swings to Will Clark. And it, and it really was. It was just sw- smooth and elegant and iconic, the way he swung the bat. 
Another Casper on the text line says, he was a jerk like that in college. <laughs> Ernest T. said he was never shy. Will Clark was never shy. That's kind of a jerk, too. But yeah. I wasn't really good at sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just a jerk. You're just a jerk for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Jerkish tendencies, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Um, Divinity Equipment phone, Jay in Baltimore. What's up, Jay? Yeah, Matt, I don't actually know some of the stats of the greats that they're comparing Will to in regards to Hall of Fame selection. But, you know, what I was most impressed about with Will Clark was his ability to hit left-handed pitching. If I recall, I know 303, something like that final batting average, but over his career, I think he was like 290 against left-hand hitting, yeah. which was just always so impressive. Look, my two cents, you think about love of the game, playing it the right way, grit, you know, he's certainly a Hall of Famer in my book. Well, and, you know, it's always been so, um, I don't know, it just always has felt arbitrary. Like, you know, there's no certain automatic threshold of stats. And because, I mean, obviously, you know, the the game of baseball is so different. You know, pitchers are different than hitters. First basemen are different than catchers, you know, and I, I get all that. And so it's always kind of been hard to understand how and why people who vote on that stuff vote the way they do. And the other thing is, too, Jay, like it's like a lot of times it would be according to what year you were on a ballot compared to the other guys on the ballot, you know. And it could be from totally different eras. I just look at it and go, okay, you're calling the thing the Hall of Fame. You know, you're calling the thing the Hall of Fame. And so – Numbers to numbers, and considering we're talking about fame, you're going to tell me that Will Clark and Dale Murphy, you know, shouldn't be in there? I just, I can't get on board with that. But I guess they don't care what I think, and I don't get a vote. You know, but somebody, let's put it this way, somebody who does get a vote um, did not vote for Derek Jeter to be in the Hall of Fame, right? So maybe that should put it into perspective for us. Yeah. It, it does. It really does. Yep. Well, well Matt, I, I know we're only uh, a few days away, so uh, really excited. I, I, my only thought is, what does it tell you about SEC pitching when JT Gann is not on the first team uh, preseason All SEC <laughs> team? It's going to be. It's not going to be easy. No, it's. I mean, the league is just loaded, loaded. Well, they had Foscu. I think they had Foscu on the first team All SEC. If I'm looking at that, and then. Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, Josh Hatcher, and Jordan Westberg, all second team. And, um, you know, look, that's it. It tells you everything you need to know about SEC baseball in that those guys could could be second teamers, and you really can't – you're wasting your time just to argue it because the league is so full of good players. No question. Yeah, Josh Hatcher, I'm going to leave it with that. That's, that's going to be the big key there. Uh, they're mm-hmm. really talking him up, and if he has a big year – Wow, that gives you just five great players. I think the rest will fall in place. Look forward to baseball. Yep, me too. Won't be long. A week from tomorrow. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate the call. Uh, J-Rock on the country-pleasing text line. First Major League game, he had a home run off Nolan Ryan dead center. Sure did. His first game, first at bat in the majors. Was it his first at bat or first game? I think it was his first at bat. 
home run dead center field in the Astrodome off Nolan Ryan. He tells the story. In fact, I went back, I found an old interview Will Clark did where he was telling that story, and I included it with a, um, a courtesy and uh, you know noting where it came from in the Dogpile podcast. So you ought to go check that out. You ought to go check that out. Uh, it's quick, and he kind of describes what happened right after he hit that home run off Nolan Ryan and, and all that kind of stuff. Fuzz on the text line says, my favorite Will Clark quote, talking about steroids, quote, the only steroid I ever took was Bud Light. <laughs> I heard with my own ears. Um, this is several years ago when John Cohen and I were um, working on a podcast interview with Will Clark, and I heard it with my own ears um, that, you know, Will, in a lot of ways, he didn't want his numbers of his career being compared to that offensive explosion era of the late 90s. And, it, I mean, he's basically saying, you know, I was not one of the steroid guys and I shouldn't be compared to them. But, uh, I mean, that's paraphrasing it, using different words. Rebel Greg on the text line says, Growing up as a kid, I always heard Will the Thrill Clark was a jerk, but it still didn't stop me from going outside batting and pretending I was him with that sweet swing. <clears throat> yeah, no doubt. Well, and you know, that's one of the things that was so much fun about watching Will Clark play is he wore those that confidence that a lot of times bubbled over into emotion. He wore it on his sleeve. You could see it on his face. I mean, everything about him during a ball game seemed intense and competitive, right down to the look on his face. You know, a lot of guys hide it, but he didn't hide anything, didn't try to. You know, he would he ran around the bases differently. When he, you know, he had a home run that just cleared the wall and his team's down versus he hit one clear out of Wrigley Field in a postseason game off Greg Maddox to uh, give his team the lead. Go look at that clip. Man, he ran around the bases and had a different type of gait. Just even the way he ran was, I'm better than you. <laughs> I'm just better than you. <laughs> and it was one of the fun things about watching him play. It really was. All right, let's see here. We got a text from Casper. It says, I remember being in college when you were, Matt, and was at a sorority function on a date with a girl, and they pointed out you were there also. You stayed quiet but polite. My take was you seemed a nice guy and not trying to draw attention to yourself. I guess I expected you to be loud and obnoxious. <laughs> and he said, I always had a great impression of you. Yeah, look, I've... I, I don't, it's weird to say this, I, I don't have nervousness about really anything I never have because I haven't had really insecurity or anything like that, but I am very much an introvert. Um, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, we can talk all day long and stuff, but big groups of people, big gatherings and stuff, uh, it's not really, never really been comfortable there. Yeah, So those things, I would always just try to get them over with, <laughs> stay out of the way and just get them over with, get back home. Thanks for the text. We'll wrap it up next with you here on this Thursday. Stay with me. 
You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back on the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team. Hometown heroes, local Farm Bureau insurance agents, available to you in all 82 counties across the state of Mississippi. And in just about every case, it's someone right there where you are, right at home, from the same place. Y'all probably went to high school together. Kids go to the same school. You'll find them in the stands on Friday night, rooting on the home team just like you are. That's your local agent, and they can help you. Somebody you can deal with one-on-one, cell phone to cell phone, anytime, night or day, and that's the way it should be. It's the way it is at Farm Bureau. So we heard from Mike Leach earlier. What did Lane Kiffin say yesterday for Ole Miss signing day? There was a little angst, I think, from some of the Ole Miss fan base. They you know, wanted a higher ranking here or there, a high-rated player here or there, more players, you know, a full class, all that kind of stuff. You didn't necessarily get all of that. But listen to what Lane Kiffin said said during a portion of his Q&A talking about signing day yesterday. Different era of college football. It's more like NFL managing your roster. So uh, we left ourselves some room, didn't reach on kids uh, just to fill spots. And, you know, that puts us in position for kids that are still out there. Also puts us in position for grad transfers, regular transfers. And also, you know, uh, we can save some for next year too. So, I think going through this process, um, you know, it is different than, you know, before becoming a head coach and not having the early period. So, you know, no one could get signed up. So you'd have, you know, then, you know, all the way up until today to sign guys. So that does make it a little bit more challenging um, for first year staffs, you know, to come in and try to turn kids. So um, we lost some kids, obviously, like everybody does, um, but kind of going back over the kids. You know, a lot of that was relationship-based of, you know, not having, you know, losing out to people that had longer relationships with kids. So we look forward, you know, we've already started on next year's class, uh, having a whole year to do that. And, um, you know, I know everybody gets up here and says, you know, this is the best class ever. You know, every coach says that. Um, this is a good class with some really good players, uh, but we'll sign better classes um, every year that we're here um, than this. Um deeper classes that fill all the areas of need, you know, just didn't want to reach this year. You talk about not wanting to reach, not going after players that you wouldn't have been interested in maybe. How do you evaluate this class? It's good by your words, but what are the holes you're still looking to fill with maybe the later players in the market later? Well, I think the players are good that we sign in this class. It's just not very deep, obviously, you know. Um, you know, you got a lot of people around the country signing 25, 27 players. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, obviously it's not, you know, the same, but there's really good players within it. Um, I don't think we're really looking for, you know, certain positions left. I think once now you get to this point, it's more, you know, best, best players, uh, versus just adding a certain position. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, We'll go find the best players available, whether it's kids that are still left, 
grad transfers or normal transfers or save them. Like I said, it's more like an NFL model. You got to you know manage your roster. So um, you know, I'm not gonna get in a position much except for you know we'd we'd probably like to really sign a, a really quality running back. All right, so there's a little bit of Lane Kiffin yesterday. Did you hear what he said? Um, it, it is true. And Chris Brooks touched on this. I think it's very accurate. That it, it's unusual, it would be unusual, if you have a complete coaching staff turnover and you don't have one of these things that they call a transition class. That's one of the things that's tough about Making coaching changes is part of the thing you have to factor in is what's going to happen to our recruiting class. Okay. And the thing is, Ole Miss and the program and the school, they were in a position where there wasn't a whole lot of momentum or anything like that. It didn't seem like not a lot of positivity before the coaching change. And there was when the change happened, but then it's all new relationships. It's a whole bunch of guys, you know, kids that are committed and different things that maybe don't know the new staff. They're trying to meet them. Then it opens the door for other coaching staffs to come in there who've got longer-standing relationships and really get their foot in the door or really swing it one way or the other. That's called a, a transition class, and you see it all over the place. And the thing is, it's really incredible that Mississippi State really didn't go through that. State didn't have a top 15 recruiting class according to the rankings, but they had a you know a very respectable one, a good one even. And you know, top 25-ish type of class. And it's like Paul Jones said yesterday, it is a heck of a nod to the previous staff and Moorhead and those guys and the job they were doing in recruiting in that they weren't out just selling themselves personally on the recruiting trail. That they were actually recruiting to the school and the program and kind of doing it the, the right way in that, and there was a lot of still positivity. They had winning seasons and that kind of thing. It wasn't like the state fan base had stopped buying tickets or anything. So there was still positivity. State didn't really go through a transition class. So it speaks to the job the previous staff and the current one were able to do. But this is a transition class right here for Ole Miss, and I think Kiffin's right. It's going to be better in the future. This kind of is what it is. Not that they don't have some good players, because in every class there are some that are underrated, and that's a fact of the matter. Uh, also, on the uh, text line, the Country Meat Packers text line, Country Please and Sausage. And by the way, if you haven't been to Country Meat Packers Butcher Shop right there in Florence on Highway 49, you need to go in there. We've had people vouching for that today on the text line. Ken in Tupelo says, we need a third hour of the show every day. Okay. And then Gator Nation says, Matt, what did you think of the uh, Rush Limbaugh news, advanced lung cancer? He said, you and him are a lot alike. He's the king of political news, and you're the sports talk king. Thanks, Gator Nation. Yeah, I hate that for anybody, man. hate it. It's just awful. You know, when when life gives you a, a death sentence right in your lap. It's tough. Ponto on the Divinity Equipment phone. What's up, Ponto? I'm still celebrating the victory over San Francisco. And listen, they need to get a street address so we don't plug the 49ers. Don't say Highway 49 anymore. <laughs> Give them another address. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, but, the 49ers were in the Super Bowl. That's a pretty good accomplishment, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm still celebrating. Are they going to play the maroon-white game? 
Say again now. That they're going to play the maroon white game in oh, the yeah. spring. Yeah, Ponto State is having Super Bulldog weekend. It's Easter weekend, but the whole thing starts on Thursday and ends on that Saturday of Easter weekend. And on that Saturday, they will have the maroon and white game. We're good. Yeah. Uh, on Thunder and Lightning, you know, I used to be the Clay Lager Sports Editor, so I know baseball too. Yeah. Uh, they both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's it's personalities. It's all the field stuff. That's exactly what it is. Mm. It's not their statistics because mm. they've got their uh, credentials, obviously. Well, but, but, but what would be steroid stuff? Okay, so if we say steroid stuff keeps Palmero out, what what is it off the field though that would keep Will Clark out? Just his personality, just being a, uh, and he's not a jerk. I know the guy. You know, I've been, you know, uh, grew up in Octoc and been going to Mississippi State baseball since the fifties. Yeah, uh, been to the College World Series a dozen times. It's just his personality, okay. and it's, it's not him. He, he deserves. It. I mean, he just, he just a. You know, that's Will Clark. He's not a total jerk. It's just his personality. <laughs> he deserves to be Hall of Fame. No question. Paul, I he mean. Got the, yeah. He was right. He was He was better than the next guy. Yeah. Hey, uh, but anyway. He, that, he you know, was. Uh, uh, he'll, he'll get there eventually. He'll be there eventually. Maybe. Both of them will. Ponto, yeah. thanks for the call, man. I appreciate you. All right, and so I'm going to put something out there. Have y'all noticed that we've had a bunch of texts today from someone named Casper? Well, here's the story behind that. Chris Brooks accused me of stealing the term unnamed texture. Now, he said I stole it because they were doing it on their show. And then, you know, I was doing it on my show. Problem is, I didn't say unnamed texture because he said it. By the way, Sheriff Jim on the text line says, I agree with Ken. Three hours of your show would be great. Take care and God bless. Look at this. People want more hours of the show. That's good. We're thinking about it. Y'all hold on a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Just give me some time. Thanks for the folks in Tupelo texting me on the country-pleasing text line. All right, so anyway, back to it. I didn't steal that from Chris. I just started saying it because the texters are unnamed. So because he insinuated I need something else I came up with the term ghost texture ghost texture and I learned today by listening to his show that now he's saying ghost texture I don't know whether to bob or weave here so instead of saying ghost texture from now on anyone who texts without a name they are Casper as in Casper the friendly ghost That's why we've had so many texts today from Casper. (laughs) Okay. I I, I just had begun to think, wow, Casper's really busy because I haven't been paying, you know, that close of attention to the text line. I've just been, you know, taking your word for it. (laughs) I wondered if you were going to notice. I'm glad I got you. You got me. All right. There'll be Casper on the gridiron tomorrow. That's right. Okay. If they do that, then something's up. I'm putting a stop to it. All right, we'll see y'all tomorrow in the Farm Bureau studio. See ya! You've been listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Woo!